electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'm people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let the bad times roll. What can I say? When Salesforce lays off 8,000 people or 10% of its staff and the stock rockets higher, you have the blueprint for a tech turnaround. Given the tech's been an ongoing disaster, a millstone around the neck of the market. More than 3% gain in Salesforce in the wake of that news today confirms that even software as a service stocks can rally. A charge of approximately $1.4 billion to $2.1 billion led to a nearly $5 billion gain in market capitalization for the cloud play. Yes, and I think that the cloud king's move is just beginning. House of pleasure. That's one of the reasons why uh, the things were fine with the Dow ultimately up 133 points, S&P advancing 0.75%, NASDAQ climbing up 6.4, up 6.9%, despite some downbeat comments from the Fed in month-old meetings that inflation is still raging. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff didn't mince words in his letter to employees, quote, the environment remains challenging and our customers are taking a more measured approach to their purchasing decisions. With this in mind, we've made a very difficult decision to reduce our workforce by about 10%, mostly over the coming weeks, end quote. Wow. It's Mark Benioff. The overexpansion was their own doing. As he articulates, quote, I've been thinking a lot about how we came to this moment. As our revenue accelerated through the pandemic, we hired too many people leading into this economic downturn that we're now facing. And I take responsibility for that, end quote. Tough and good. All right, this isn't the first time layoffs have propelled big cap techs higher. Meta Platforms, for instance, chopped 13% of its workforce on November 9th when the stock was at 96. Now it's at 127. Again, too many people, too few revenues. This was Mark Benioff. 
Now, I'm not saying that we're going, going to cost-cut our way out of this remorseless market. That doesn't work. If businesses keep cutting back on marketing, Salesforce will have to fire more people, perhaps prodded maybe by the starboard value, the activist firm that's encouraging tough Ohana love that has a lot of shares. If Mark Zuckerberg, founder and CEO of Meta Platforms, can't figure out how to monetize the metaverse, doesn't spend more time on reels, his version of TikTok, then he's going to need to let a lot more people go, along with a lot of real estate. But at the end of the day, this market has become unforgiving to the fat happy tech companies that hired too many people during the pandemic and are now seeing that they're not taking the tough actions needed to protect you, to protect you, the shareholder. The kind of actions that a steelmaker or a Kemble company will do reflexively going into a downturn. They know how to do it. The tech guys, they've never seen anything like this. They don't know what to do. Which brings me to why we see this happening. We've discovered that the mega cap techs, the, the giants that in some cases got trillion dollar valuations or multi-trillion dollars, at because uh, precisely they did that because we thought there was no cyclicality. And now they're wallowing in cyclical hell. We used to think they could keep growing like crazy regardless of the underlying economy. But that is no longer the case, which is why they can stand to benefit from so many cost cuts, as painful as they are. Also pain. Can you imagine how much Alphabet would jump if they admitted that they, too, had overhired during the pandemic? When you were sitting at home with nothing to do, you watch YouTube and you look things up at Google when you had to go back to work every day, your habits changed. But did Alphabet do anything when that business slowed? Oh, yeah, they did. How about this? How about they announced a mega plan for $9.5 billion in offices, data centers, and hiring 12,000 new people? Very expensive people. I kid you not. That's what they did. That's what they did. It's time for Alphabet to bite the bullet, admit that all three moves were wrong, and start to last. We never want to root for people to lose their jobs. But the market's going to keep punishing them until that happens. A year ago, during the tail end of the pandemic, Amazon had 1.1 million employees in the U.S. That's about as many as we have in the armed forces. How many of these people does it need now? The same amount? Do you think that Amazon needs as many workers as it did when we were hungry all down, waiting for our boxes, waiting for our Amazon deliveries? It's not just retail Amazon, for heaven's sake, that's under assault. Its web service business is also slowing, according to some analysts. So again, if there are too many people, they need to let some people go. Even if their sales stay the same, the earnings can't still grow as long as they find ways to cut costs. And that would be enough to make this market happy and their stocks would fly. Oh, I was thinking today how much Amazon would be up, how much Alphabet would be up if they just did the right thing. And the right thing sometimes is a hurtful thing. After listening to a powerful downgrade this morning of Microsoft because of slowing Azure cloud sales, I figure they also have too many data centers, too many people, too many unknown projects that turn out to have cyclical components, more hostage to the business cycle than we thought, for certain. Time to pay more attention to the bottom line than to the eco line? Apple. All right, well, this one's a little tougher. I know that Apple's been the most hesitant about hiring among the mega caps anyway. It probably doesn't have as much overhead as the others. That said, with the stock down to the point where the market capitalization is almost down a trillion bucks from the high, pretty much a free fall, by the way, this would be a good time to rationalize the cost structure if they want to do it. What's happening here? Why am I discussing these mega cap tech companies like their Caterpillar or Cleveland Clips or Union Pacific or American Airlines? Because that's what they've become. 
In the old days, these companies always seemed like they would grow endlessly to the sky, no matter what you said about them. It always felt like their business was only in the second inning. There was very little competition. For the most part, it was secular growth with nobody going against them. A remarkable thing. No competitors, moats all over the place, untethered from the underlying economy. Well, now we are well past the seventh inning, and for some of them, the growth ballgame is over. For a full decade, these companies defied all criticism, but as we got to 2020, we began to see that there was indeed some cyclicality. We know that because they have customers, actual paying customers. And you know what happens to customers? Sometimes when there's a downturn, they don't have the money to pay. They can't handle a downturn. They spend less when the economy is weaker. That's what customers do. Whether you like it or not, I bet if you were at Amazon right now, you might be saying, hey, maybe we don't need all those Rivian trucks. Maybe we have too many data centers. Maybe we need to raise the price of Amazon Prime while letting some people go because business is slowing. I am sure CEO Andy Jassy is thinking the same thing. Do we really need all this real estate? Do we really need all these people? Do we really need all these data centers? Do we really need all these warehouses? Endless! There are so many tech companies that bloated payrolls that are still trying to grow rapidly, overpaying for new employees, and they fear that layoffs will mean that their time in the sun is over and Wall Street won't like it. But they don't seem to understand that their time in the sun ended over a year ago when the Fed started getting tough on inflation. I saw the same thing happen during the dot-com collapse. Back then, the ones that didn't cut costs, that didn't care about preserving the institution, the ones that didn't want the institution to be preserved, well, guess what? They closed more than 330 of them. Only a couple made it. I'm saying that this decline will be as bad as the 2000 and 2001. I'm not, won't be that. Nor am I saying that tech stocks can rally endlessly on cost cuts, especially when the newly released Fed minutes from last month show that our central bank doesn't want the stock market getting ahead of itself. But let's face it. There are gluts in tech everywhere. It's just that nobody in tech wants to admit it. So just keep these words in mind from Mark Benioff's letter this morning. As one Ohana over the last 23 years, Salesforce has built the number one CRM, customized management, that drives incredible customer success across every line of business for every industry around the world, end quote. Ohana means family. If Mark Benioff, the originator of the Ohana, can cut family, so can anyone else. Bottom line, once these tech guys are willing to fire family, you know they've adjusted to the new, much more hostile reality. But there's a lot of family out there, and a lot of that family has to find a new family or go to a new home because they're about to get disowned. Yvonne in Florida, Yvonne. Happy New Year, Jim. Same to you, Yvonne. What's going on? Yeah, calling about your thoughts on Devon Energy. Is it a good time to buy? And if it is, how long would you hold Devon? I think it's an excellent time to buy. We had Carly Garner's work on yesterday. She's a fantastic technician. Told you to sell oil at 120. She says it's time to buy now. The stock's at 58. I think you want to buy, 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 buy. It's the right time. And don't forget, you got that 9% yield. All right, look. Once these tech guys are willing to fire family, you know they've adjusted to the new, much more hostile reality. But how many have done that? Well, man, tonight, we cover the top performers in the Dow. Tonight, we're focusing on the S&P 500 to see which of last year's big winners could repeat the performance in 2023. Then, have the earnings estimates come down enough to have a sustainable bottom in this market? I'll give you my take. 
And could some of the beaten down names in the S&P prove to be strong buying opportunities going into the new year? I'm revealing five stocks I have on my radar that you must hear about that I'm sure you don't even like until you hear more. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. One of the easiest traps to fall into is simply sticking with winners. And it works for a long time. Right until it doesn't. If you stuck with the Fang winners, for instance, the old Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, you got your head handed to you over the last couple of years. If you stuck with the S&P 500's biggest winners in the first half of last year, the oils, well, guess what? You got clobbered in the second half when the price of oil fell. I'm keeping that in mind when I judge the top 25 performers in the S&P 500 from last year, which we know is a truly miserable period. It's not easy finding names that can repeat positive performance. Most of them are clustered in energy. Think Exxon, Chevron, Conoco. You see the wall here. Look at all. Marathon Oil, Apache. Now, I like the group, but I actually prefer the variable dividend oils that we own for the Travel Trust, which you can join. We find out much more about with the CNBC Investing Club. Now, I've got to tell you, we bought one of these variable dividends uh, oil stocks today. You can read all about it. 
you can also find out more if you are part of the home stretch. And that's a new afternoon program that comes on after 2 p.m. If, again, if you belong to the CNBC Investing Club, we call it the two-ish because we do it right after 2 o'clock. Looking only at the S&P 500's biggest winners, though, you know what my favorite is? It's Halliburton, the oil service titan with a red-hot stock, another travel trust name. Now, when we had CEO Jeff Miller on the show not that long ago, it was so good. He talked about dramatic underinvestment, seven-year cycle of underinvestment here. Now we are only in year one of a new spending cycle for oil and gas. And this isn't one of those instances, by the way, where it's like, hey, we're in the second inning. No, seven-year lean years, now you got seven fat. You almost never catch something like that. And this experienced CEO knows what he's talking about. Sure, the independents don't drill like they used to, but the privately held oil companies and the majors like BP today are finally spending aggressively, especially in the Permian Basin. The BP numbers about how much they're going to spend today blew me away. The, only, uh, the oil service industry only has three major players, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, and SLB, company formerly known as Slipperjet. They all have pricing power, their order books are filled, and they're all in expansion mode after years of retraction. I think Hal does indeed have a multi-year rally ahead of it. Wish I had more stocks I could say that about. You know I think oil's about to bounce here. Remember, we had Carly Garner stuff on last night and uh, off the charts. So this is a terrific moment to buy a stock we own for the Travel Trust. Next up from the S&P's biggest winners, two sides of the same coin, Constellation Energy and Enphase. Constellation's utility that's 90% carbon-free because they're arguably the best operator of nuclear plants on Earth. If our government's serious about fighting climate change, nuclear is the most logical solution. But every decade or two, there's a disaster that holds down the higher, you know, the whole industry. Think about it. Uh, you know, Three Mile Island and then uh, Chernobyl and Fukushima. Now, hopefully it's been long enough since Fukushima that our leaders will embrace nuke. Fortunately, the Biden administration is on the right side of this issue. Most people don't recognize it because the Inflation Reduction Act had such an Orwellian name. But it would have been mostly honest to call it the Constellation Energy Act. Huge nuclear subsidies in there. Great for this stock, and it has the added advantage of being good policy. Even though Constellation had a huge run last year, you know what? I think it's got more on the upside. Same goes for another winner, Enphase, which is our favorite solar play because they're focused on something called microinverters, which convert the energy captured from solar panels into usable electricity, as well as batteries and software to control your home solar equipment. That's a much better space than the more competitive solar panel mar- uh, manufacturing market. Now, I know that many renewable energy-oriented stocks have been awful performers of late, especially the awful electric vehicle names. But Enphase is different. It's a profitable company. It sells real products and services, although the stock isn't exactly cheap at these levels. Still, you got my blessing to own this one. It's another huge winner from the Inflation Reduction Act. I don't like talking politics. But you need to acknowledge the reality of the political situation to pick stocks. And right now, we've got the least carbon-friendly president in the history of our country. Enphase is the renewable golden boy. It outlasts every fad from wild lithium batteries to EV charging station equipment because lots of people want home-generated solar power. As more utilities agree to pay their customers for excess electricity from renewables, like in California, Enphase just gets more valuable. Generally speaking, alternative energy is not viable in this market. Most of these stocks have racked up stunning losses over the last 12 months. But unlike nearly every other alternative play, Constellation and Enphase are good, profitable businesses that just happen to be in the business of reducing carbon emissions. Again, Biden's authorized a lot of spending for this stuff, and I'll, it'll finally start to hit this year. But I don't feel safe playing that theme with more speculative stocks that are, that are hated by the market. You know, this is one of those where you really got to stick with winners, not losers. 
What else works from the last year's winners? Well, you know what always, always, always does well in a slowdown? The drug distributors. Middlemen like McKesson, Amerisource Bergen, or Cardinal Health. These are all good stocks, even though none of these businesses would exist if we had a rational health care system in this country. The drug distributors seem like free riders at best, parasites at worst. But the drug companies, seem, they, 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 sell, they, don't know, they don't know anything about delivering the product to people. Or to stores, for that matter. That's why McKesson, Immersos, and Cardinal could insert, them, uh, insert themselves in your portfolio without a problem. I bet they keep winning. I'd like to say, uh, just go buy Merck, another recession-proof stock that had a remarkable move, in part because the valuation got way too low a couple of years ago when Wall Street didn't appreciate the value of its cancer franchise. I hesitate because it's run so much, but I don't think you're going to go wrong owning Merck in 2023. It had a nice move today on an upgrade, which shows you that not everyone's in the Merck pool, at least not yet. And remember, this is about the best of the S&P 500 of 2022, Merck, and I think Merck's could again repeat. I wanted some defense contractors in this best of 22 because we've entered a new age of global re, uh, remilitarization. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, the idea of a conventional land war between pure militaries, unthinkable. Now we got one in Europe, Europe, Europe of all places. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has forced leaders around the world to up their defense spending. For the longest time, NATO treated Ukraine as sort of a barely a relevant buffer state, maybe between the West and Russia. Financially speaking, it was almost an international pariah, too corrupt. Now nobody cares. Russia's playing a dangerous game here. When they invaded, they figured the Ukrainian regime would collapse overnight. And even if it didn't, they could bully Ukraine into surrendering with the threat of nuclear weapons. They didn't count on Zelensky sticking, out his, sticking to his guns or the West waking up and realizing that we can't give in to Russian nuclear brinkmanship. Both sides now seem to recognize that rearming is a must. Looking through the biggest winners in the S&P, I think Northrop Grumman is perhaps the best defense contractor to own because Northrop Grumman makes so many of the conventional weapon systems that now need to be built as fast as possible. To this day, I still feel that people don't take Russia seriously enough, including our own government, which is more preoccupied with preventing Ukraine from retaliating aggressively than with actually winning this war. And that has to end. You end it with things like Northrop Grumman. Either way, though, Northrop Grumman is the best way to invest in, in the remilitarization thesis, again, of the best of the S&P 500 2022. Remember, that's the focus here. And this is here to stay, regardless of, what, of how the rest of the war goes. You're getting a tremendous opportunity as this stock fell nearly 14 points today. Bottom line, we're looking at last year's top 25 winners in the S&P 500 and which ones can repeat. And I think it's going to be Halliburton, Constellation Energy, Enphase, McKesson, and Northrop Grumman. They are the most likely to show up again after their strong performance in 2022 to repeat in 2023. They have money back after the break. Coming up, when will earnings estimates bottom? Kramer tells you when to expect a rise from the ashes of bear market territory. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. We've turned the page from 2022 and a year in bear market territory. We need to ask ourselves when this market can truly bottom. Can the lows from the fall hold or do we need to expect more pain? The house of pain. Let me tell you how to answer that question. Last June, about a year after the averages started bouncing off their lows, I told you it was too soon to hope for bottom because the earnings estimates were still way too high. The market can't find a floor until those numbers come down until the analysts adjust the projections to fit the new, more negative reality. That's a major reason why stocks turned so fragile again in late August and why we hit new lows this fall. The estimates, they were just too high. Over the summer, we heard endless griping about how the economy was headed for an inevitable recession, yet the earnings estimates from the S&P 500 reflected a pretty solid economy. Those numbers were detached from reality. In the last six months, these estimates have come down substantially. But is it enough? Do we need to steal ourselves from many more number cuts? Sadly, I think the answer is yes. And remember, we can't get a truly sustainable rally until the slowdown is already baked in. We have to get these lower earnings estimates out of the way first. We need to de-risk the market from crummy numbers. Let me put this in perspective. In late June, I lamented the fact that after the S&P 500 achieved 4% earnings growth in the first quarter, the analyst consensus was calling for 6% growth in the second quarter, 14% growth in the third quarter, and 7% growth in the fourth quarter. Like I said at the time, those expectations were psychotic. Everybody knew the economy was deteriorating. Everybody knew the Fed was on the warpath. There was no reason to believe those forecasts. As it turned out, in the second quarter, where the the S&P was supposed to have a 6% earnings growth instead of the aggregate earnings were down 10%. That's right, 6, no, down 10. In the third quarter, we don't have the complete numbers, yet we're nearly all the way there. And based on a comprehensive uh, estimate, the S&P collectively saw a 3.2% earnings decline. Remember, in June, if you went by the analyst estimates, the components of the index were supposed to generate 14% at earnings growth in the third quarter. We don't have results for the fourth quarter yet, but in the last six months, the estimates have been slashed. Now the analysts are looking for a 6% decline. All told, 2022 should be about a down 4% year for the S&P 500 earnings. That's, that's a lot. How about this year, which is what really matters? Well, six months ago, the analyst consensus was that the S&P 500 would collectively have $249 of earnings per share power in 2023. Now that's come down to 226 and change. So the numbers have come down 9%. All that still represents a solid uptick from last year. But now for the million-dollar question. 
Have the estimates come down enough for the market to put in a sustainable bottom? Let's consider where we are now based on the trailing earnings data, not the, not the uh, prospects. Right now, the S&P 500 is selling for 19 times last year's earnings estimates. According to historical data compiled by S&P Global's Howard Silverblatt, that makes it slightly more expensive than we were six months ago, but also fairly cheap compared to where we've been since the beginning of the COVID era. A year ago, the S&P was selling for nearly 23 times its trailing 12-month earnings. Two years ago, it was more than 30 times those trailing numbers. If you want to look back a little further for the five-year average for the S&P 500, that's 21.7 times trailing earnings. The 10-year average, 20 times those trailing numbers. The 15-year number, which includes the financial crisis, 19 times earnings. The 20-year average is a little lower, 18.6 times earnings. Now, if you use the estimates for the next 12 months, the S&P is currently trading at just 17 times earnings. Hmm, in a vacuum, I tell you, that's a fair price to pay for the market. But we don't live in a vacuum, do we? I think that price earnings multiple looks deceptively cheap because, alas, the estimates remain too high. Generally speaking, when the market looks inexpensive, that can be a red flag because it means Wall Street's betting the actual earnings will be lower than expected. And that's my problem right here. See, if you look at the consensus forecast for 2023, the S&P 500 will collectively see 13.2% earnings growth year over year. While that's basically in line with the historical average, who really believes this will be an above an average or even above average year? Come on. Sure, we'll be up against easier comparisons, especially in the second half, because last year's numbers were so ugly. But I can't think of many people who genuinely believe 2023 will be an above average earnings year. The Federal Reserve is still on the warpath. They won't tighten as aggressively as they did last year, but they're absolutely going to keep hitting the brakes on the economy. And we saw that from the meeting notes that came out. We had the minutes at 2 o'clock, it looked, it looked just like that. Once again, these analyst estimates are hopelessly out of sync with the constant doom and gloom about how the Fed's pushing us into recession. I don't totally agree with the doomsayers, but I think it's pretty clear business has to get worse before it gets better. The Bears got a big nod from the Fed today, where the minutes indicated that they definitely don't want stocks to rally. Something I've been saying to you for ages. Right now, the Fed wants you to feel poorer, not richer. Lower portfolios mean lower consumer spending, which is what they're really aiming for. So unfortunately, over the next few weeks, I expect the analysts to slash their earnings estimates for 2023. When we start seeing the fourth quarter results, that will be the perfect excuse. They always like to look for a news peg when they cut numbers because it allows them to pretend they're reacting to recent developments rather than correcting a long-held mistake of how they felt about a company and a stock. That said, the analysts will likely get all the justification they need because I'm betting most companies will be very conservative with their full-year forecast. They don't, they don't want to overpromise at this point. Even the perpetual optimists have been burned too many times. However, once we get hit with the next wave of estimate cuts, I think you get a tremendous buying opportunity because that's when the numbers will have come down enough. I actually wouldn't be surprised if the analysts turned out to be right and the S&P 500 sees 13% earnings growth this year. Because my feeling is the recession worries are overdone. But even if that's the case, it's going to be an upside surprise later in the year. First, though, the estimates need to come down to reflect what I'm betting will be some very cautious guidance. Let me give you the bottom line here. Once earnings season rolls around, the earnings forecast for many economically sensitive stocks, including the techs, will look grim. And the analysts will be forced to slash their estimates while finally taking the price targets down to reasonable levels. That's when the numbers will have come down enough and the companies will be able to beat the numbers, and that's when it's truly safe buy, 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 buy. to do some buying. Sarah in Nebraska. Sarah. Hi, Jim. 
Sarah, how are you? Good. I love your show, and you have a big fan base here. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Need that. These days are hard. What's going on? Oh, I was wondering about Corteva, whether to hold it or sell it and buy Caterpillar. Sarah, I happen to love the ag sector. You're in the heart of it. I think you're in good shape. I like Corteva. I think it's a real good stock to own. All right. The analysts will slash estimates on economically sensitive stocks during earnings season. That's what we're betting. And that's when the numbers will have come down enough. Much more man money ahead. Last year was a tough one for the average, as we know. So are there buying opportunities to be had in some of the beaten up names, the SP 500? I'm giving you a handful of stocks I'm watching. Then the SEC charged a former SPAC CFO with workers trading a $5 million fraud scheme. So why does this matter to the whole SPAC and crypto cohort? I'll give you my take and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Here we are again making predictions. This time we're looking at the worst of the S&P 500. We all know 2022 was a terrible year for stocks, right? But if you want to relive it, then you check the incredibly bad performers at the bottom of the S&P 500, the 25 worst of the good riddance year of 2022. I felt like I was dumpster diving when I went through these stocks looking for comeback stories. But I got five of them, five incredibly fallen angels. I mean, the only question is, if they're finished falling. And that, honestly, I don't know. But done a lot of work on these. Let's go over them. Let's take them down. Starting with Netflix. We're discovering that while Netflix got a huge boost from COVID on the subscription side, they also took a huge hit on the production side. We had a real shortage of good new content for a long stretch on Netflix. They, didn't just talk, they just didn't talk about it. But now they're back in business, rolling out terrific programming relentlessly. Hey, by the way, I feel the same way about Amazon Prime, but that's not large enough to move the needle for Amazon as a whole. I believe Netflix has turned itself around because they were so confident on that last conference call. You know, for almost two years, their conference calls were funereal. Even when Squid Game took the world by storm, not this last one, though, Sure, the stock's not exactly cheap, and uh, lots of growth-oriented money managers want to find improving franchises, and that's not, you know, but that is Netflix to a T. See, I-, I can't wait until their next call, so I know what to binge on besides my wife's mezcal. Next, I've got two real losers, and you're going to be shocked. When I say these two, you're going to say that Kramer's lost his mind. All right, here we go, though. The first one, Stanley, Black, and Decker. The second, VF Corp. Two companies with iconic brands that have seen their stocks just crushed by recession fears that could be interesting contrarian plays for 2023. Look, I know, I know you don't want to own Stanley Black and Decker going into a housing-related recession, but that's why people sold this darn stock here. Look, I mean, if you sell it here, you can't be as worried about a recession down here, can you? No. I like it down here because when the Fed stops slamming the brakes on the economy, Stanley Black and Decker will still be there with even less competition than as now. They really dropped the ball in logistics last year, and that was bad. But I don't think that's going to matter to the customer. Still, if you like this one, I put on a small position here and then gradually buy more on the way down. Absolutely no hurry. While the stock order reflects a great deal of negativity, this is very much of a could it get any worse play? And sometimes that's a risky bet. Strange, the housing stocks are trading real well. Can SWK be that far behind them? Same goes for VF Corp. I just can't see this apparel type. 
repeating its horrendous performance from last year. That's a nightmare that's almost can never be repeated. They just put in a new interim CEO, Ben O'Dor, who's coming off an incredibly successful run at Clorox. You probably saw him on the show a bunch of times. He is one of the great brand managers of our generation, and VS got some great brands. Think about Advance, North Face, Timberland, Dickies, Eastpac, Altra, and Kipling, among others. Unfortunately, they spent way too much time and money on just one of them, Vans, without really knowing how faddish that footwear market can be. Vans became their mainstay, and they didn't think it could just totally stall out, but that's exactly what happened. VF Corp probably wouldn't have spun off its denim business as Contour Brands. Actually, interesting stock, by the way, if they know this was coming. At least denim's consistent. Still, unlike Stanley Bach and Decker, which is a bet on the brand, VF Corp's actually a bet on Ben Latour. Now, my experience with him is that he takes the best brands and puts money behind them, encouraging innovation to a point where the shareholders get compensated tremendously. When, and by the way, just so you know, the brand managers get compensated if they do a good job. And VF really needs to specialize in trying to get the most out of its brands. How can I have any faith in this, co- in this company after the missteps it's made? Simple. VF Corp never actually spoiled the brands themselves. Now, maybe that's enough, although the 7% yield is screaming that you need to brace yourself for a dividend cut before you buy it. There are always people who own stocks like this for income, and they dump it in a heartbeat when that payout comes down. They can't handle the apparel glut. No problem with Benno. He also has the freedom to cut the dividend because it sure wasn't his idea. Benno can handle the dividend. I mean, he can cut the dividend because it's not his, and he can handle the glut. That's what matters. Next, I want to put, uh, this is always tough for me to talk about, meta platforms into the mix. It's a child trust name. I'm putting a gun to my head on this one. We bought the old Facebook at a fraction of its current price for the Chapel Trust, sold a big chunk of it much higher. I was very proud of that, but then kept on the rest of the position just in case. No pride there. Just in case of what? After endless quarters of negative cash flow, uh, you know what? Why hold on to any of it? Well, listen. Even though it's been incredibly difficult to bet with Mark Zuckerberg over the last two years, and many would argue that his company's best ideas were all acquired from other people, there's still something to be said for the core franchise that throws off a ton of cash, even as they've been wasting that cash in the metaverse. Investors don't mind hanging around for some big payoff down the line, assuming that payoff actually exists, though. To me, though, the metaverse seems like a fascination that isn't that fascinating. Pretty damning. Personally, I like the experience, but I'm no baby. Look, remember me. I'm a baby boomer. I'm not the key demographic here. Just try try to get your kids, I try to get my kids involved in this thing. To most people under 40, the metaverse is a joke. That thing in, what is that thing? It's like a view master. You can imagine how it might work in theory. Say a metaverse mall where you can scan your body, try on clothes digitally. But that seems so far away from reality, it's almost inconceivable, even though I like it. I don't know how they can even make money in the metaverse. And worse, I don't think the meta knows either. In 2023, I think either the metaverse goes commercial or it just goes. The latter sure seems more likely these days. If that happens, by the way, Meta's efforts could be swung elsewhere, including WhatsApp, which could be worth $100 billion on its own, 10 times its revenues. The cash flow would be horrendously negative to wildly go to then wildly positive. So you would see this stock. This is cash flow negative, cash flow negative, cash flow negative. Go to cash flow positive. I want that. Of course, saying I'm not in a trusting mode with these guys, it's like saying I'm not worried at all about the Eagles against the Giants on Sunday. This thing's been a disaster. But at least Meta has optionality, and it might have something else going for it. Our government's increasingly going back to the pre-Nixon days where we see China as a true adversary. And you know what that means? We can't trust the Chinese-owned TikTok, which gives Meta's 
TikTok knockoff Reels a chance to take market share. If they diverted their metaverse budget to Reels, holy cow, the stock would soar. Hey, by the way, Reels is a great product. So you've got my blessing to gamble on it. Notice that word. It is a gamble. Not like the next pick and my final pick, AMD. Wow. Has the stock of AMD fallen? It's an extraordinary decline after an amazing run. Now, AMD has gone from having a super premium price to earnings multiple to having a regular one right here. That's all it is. It's gone from being the bell of the semiconductor ball to just another beaten up stock. And yet during this period, the underlying business has actually gotten better. AMD's got a multi-year roadmap, and it keeps executing on that roadmap with perfection. Unfortunately, we're into the mother of all glut, the personal computer glut, and that's just no sign of ending. It's so ugly that we have high team declines in the group. That's extraordinary. Perhaps architects of their own destruction, they make PCs better, so nobody seems to need a new one. Can AMD be saved by gaming? At this point, we're all tired of hearing that gaming is still in growth mode. The industry over-earned during the pandemic, and now it's going back to normal. Although, by the way, the opening of China caused Take-Two to move up today. I kind of like that. So why even bother with AMD down here? Because CEO Lisa Su, Lisa Su is a winner, right? Now she's got a losing hand. But she can augment, if you ever play cards, she can augment that hand. She'll come back better than ever. And I bet it happens in 2023. Maybe not early, but later. Hey, plus, remember the acquisition of Xilinx? I know, maybe you think they paid too much. But if AMD goes much lower, you're getting Xilinx for free. Bottom line, looking at the worst performers of the S&P, I think that Netflix, Stanley Black & Decker, VF Corp, Meta, and AMD can turn things around in time to make money for you in 2023. That money is back at the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, tell me the lightning round. I'm going to start with Frank in New York. Frank. Hey, Jim. Thanks for all you do. And most of all, thanks for your integrity, Jim. I'm itching oh, to get back into to a stock that I think is the Rock of Gibraltar. And I think they got great people. Blackstone, VX, is it okay to get I couldn't agree with you more. I think that when we just saw Jonathan Gray on the other day on Squawk on the Street, I felt the same way. I say pull the trigger. Let's go to Abby in Wisconsin. Abby. Hey, Jim. I was wondering if you could give me your thoughts on Blackline, ticker BL. Okay, so this is the, precisely the kind of uh, what I regard as being a somewhat dangerous stock is software, enterprise software that's losing money. Those are the ones I'm trying to get people to stay away from, so I'm sorry. I don't have anything good to say about Blackline. I want to go to Brenda in North Carolina, please. Brenda. Good evening, Tim. Hi, Brenda. What's up? Well, as a longtime viewer of Mad Money, I'm seeking your expert opinion on whether purchasing Piedmont Lithium, ticker PLL, is a good buy at this time since they have made much a deal with- too dangerous for you. Much too dangerous, way too speculative. We're going to take a pass on that one. A hard pass. Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Kramer. Thank you for taking yeah. my call. My pleasure. 
with the diabetes drug. Oh, 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 Zempic in short supply is Novo Nordisk Abai. Uh, okay, this is a very tough one. The stock has run up very big. I want you to switch into Eli Lilly, which is a name that we own for the Chapel Trust, which you can follow by joining along with the CNBC Investing Club. I think it's cheaper now than Novo Nordisk, but that, you've got a real good one in that. Let's go to Jamie in Florida. Jamie. Booyah, Jim. Appreciate you taking my Booyah. call, boss. Thank you. Thank you. What's up? Um, question for ticker uh, symbol VE, Bloom Energy. Okay, this is important. I think that 2022 was the uh, the apex of these companies that are involved with hydrogen, with fuel cells. They're not working. They're too expensive. I want you to avoid Bloom Energy. Now we're going to Andy in New York. Andy. Hi, Jim. Happy New Year. Same to you, Andy. What's happening? I would like your opinion on uh, Oramed Pharmaceuticals, symbol ORMP. This thing has had a way too big a move. I cannot get behind it. It's too speculative for this guy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, does one cautionary tale spell the end of the SPAC era? Kramer cries good riddance to bad due diligence. Next. Jim Kramer diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. You don't know Cooper Morgenthau, but this 35-year-old former SPAC CFO pretty much defines an era that has to end before people lose more money in this Wall Street world of foolishness and alleged criminality. Yesterday, the SEC charged this former CFO of an alpha called African Gold Acquisition with orchestrating a $5 billion embezzlement scheme, one that embodies everything go wrong with the SPAC. Almost two years ago, on February 25th of 2021, back when SPACs were booming, Morgenthau helped raise $414 million for a virtual blank check company. Like all SPACs, that money was put in trust. Morgenthau didn't have access to that money. But he did have access to the African Gold Acquisition's operating account with $1.5 million that was, quote, intended to fund African Gold's efforts to identify and acquire a company in the gold mining industry, end quote. As CFO, he could make withdrawals from the account, and did he ever, 34 of them, each below the $50,000 threshold that would have triggered a review by a board member. It was the ideal scam. According to the SEC, Morgenthau falsified the monthly operating bank account and deleted all references to his unauthorized withdrawals, erasing $1.15 million in capital meant to find the right properties, which, remember, was the entire reason for the SPAC's existence. At the end of the fourth quarter of 2021, African Gold's bank account was supposed to have $544,000 in it. But the SEC says, in reality, it had a negative balance of about $5,000, thanks to Morgenthau's theft. And what did he do? What did he do with the stolen money? Uh, well, you're obviously, you can guess. You know what he did. SEC says he used it to uh, trade options contracts on what? Meme stocks in her personal account. Of course, you went only with the finest blue chip meme stocks, AMC, GameStop, and Clover Health. The FCC goes on, quote, his trading strategy was not successful. 
He quickly lost all the stolen funds that he invested. Yep, everything he embezzled. So what does a corrupt SPAC operator do after he's looted and lost everything he can? Simple. What all SPAC operators do. He raises more money in another SPAC. In fact, he created two of them. Strategic Metals Acquisition Corp. 1 and Strategic Metals Acquisition Corp. 2. He raised $4.7 million with these efforts and used that cash to cover up the initial theft while also spending a lot of personal expenses and, of course, personal trading. Other than that, he lost the rest of the money trading. Yeah, come on, you guessed it. Crypto assets. Embezzlement to meme stocks to crypto, like three Ponzi schemes and a trench coat. Then at last, Morgenthau ran out of money as both bank accounts for, for African gold and strategic metals were empty. And thank heavens, African gold fired him. Strategic Metals Acquisition Corp. 1 and Strategic Metals Corp. 2 fortunately never got to come public. But now, I want you to think about this. People willingly gave more than $400 million to some outfit with a clown CFO who looted the darn thing to buy meme stocks. Then to cover that up, he was about to raise two more SPACs, but then he lost the initial money blowing through trading crypto. Come on, Coops! The good news, because of the way SPACs work, the people who bought African gold when it came public will get their money back. The IPO proceeds are indeed held in trust. Uh, This guy couldn't touch that money. The bad news, we're looking at a snapshot of everything that went wrong over the past few years. Easy money given to a total clown who then gambled it away on meme stocks and cryptocurrencies. If you tried pitching this story as fiction, your editor would tell you it's too on the nose. In the end, African gold explains a lot about that era. Too much money chasing too many stupid ideas with no regulation whatsoever. What I fear is that there will be more African golds, but fortunately this era is finally winding down, and the next Cooper Morgenthau may not get his chance to take your money and put it in meme stocks and cryptos. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll spend it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.